In your Bibles tonight, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 4. Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, tonight's message, it's got an unusual title, Five Personalities and Two Proverbs. And as you can imagine, we're going to find five personalities and two proverbs in this passage of Scripture. It's kind of a fun thing to preach through the book of Ecclesiastes because it's really a hard passage of Scripture like to, to divide and to... Uh, to make small points out or big points, you know, it's a, it's kind of if when I'm reading and studying the book of Ecclesiastes, if you're around somebody that had a whole lot on their heart, and they're kind of just they're talking about this and they're talking about that and they're talking about this, they're talking and they're all related to one real big subject, but it's almost like there, it's not that it's all over the place, but there's lots of them. Now, someone described this: uh, a preacher was preaching on a, a passage of scripture in Ecclesiastes, and the message message that he preached had 45 points and he came to he preached all 45 points and he came to his next sermon he said I'm telling you that since I preached 45 points last week in my sermon this week my point my sermon will be pointless and uh he didn't realize exactly what he was saying but uh any rate there's a a lot going on in this passage of scripture. It all has to do with there's vanity and vexation of spirit and life under the sun, life in this world is empty and vain until you consider God and eternity. And when we look at this passage of Scripture, uh, Solomon in chapter number 4 almost exclusively is considering life without God. And he's giving us the ironies of life. And he's, he's talking about some things that I think will make sense to you and remind us how sweet it is that we do not live in a godless world. Aren't you glad that we have God? Aren't you glad that this life is not all we have to look forward to? Uh, I'm thankful for life. But I'll just tell you, you can't live life in peace and serenity and with grace without knowing that there is life beyond the grave, that there is eternity with Christ, and God will make all things right. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? And we look tonight at this passage of Scripture. Let me read these 16 verses to you from the book of Ecclesiastes, beginning in verse number 1 of chapter 4. The Bible says, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed. And they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore, I praise the dead which are already dead, more than the living which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I considered all travail and every right work that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. 
For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. For out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. I considered all the living which walk under the sun with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that come after shall not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Tonight, five personalities and two proverbs. And we find Solomon, once again, pondering life without God and without eternity. The good news is we don't have to ponder life without God and without eternity. But when we begin to put life in its proper perspective, we understand that we must have an eternal perspective if we're going to have peace Living life under the sun. You see, God needs to be first in our lives. It's not a selfish thing that God does when he calls on his people to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's actually something that God requires and asks of his people because he knows that when you put God first, eternity first, and live for God and his glory and life beyond the grave, you will get the most out of the life that God's given you to live. And he shares some things with us, some thoughts and ponderings, and we'll begin with five personalities. The first personality that comes on the scene is the oppressed. I don't know about you, but I hate to see folks that are oppressed. And that's true. There are oppressed folks in our world, in our society, oppressed. Now, let's look at this passage of Scripture. The Bible says, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears... Of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors, there was power, but they had no comforter. That's a sad verse of scripture, is it not? I return and consider all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Oppressions. Now, folks, I'm just telling you, the philosophy of life that is promoted in our society produces oppressed people. People who think somehow that life should be handed to them that somehow thinks that there's a a way to live a a profitable, enjoyable life without being willing to work, without being willing to produce, without being willing to provide. Our society makes people oppressed by making them feel as if they are entitled to things without any effort. The most fulfilling thing that God's given man to do under the sun is to be productive with their lives. We should be productive. We should work. We should provide. Now, are there exceptions to the rule? Absolutely, yes. There are lots of folks out there that cannot do and cannot provide. And for that, God has raised up godly Christian people and churches in order to be a blessing and help folks. And we should be willing to do that. 
It's a sad thing to see the oppressed. The Bible says and talks about oppressed, the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed. Oh, it breaks my heart to see people that are suffering, the oppression, the oppressed. You don't have to look far in this world outside the uh, continental United States to find other groups of people and people that are severely oppressed. And I don't like to see the oppressed. And Solomon's looking, he said, boy, I'm looking and considering the suffering of people. How many of you know people that are suffering? He said, I'm thinking about the suffering of people. I'm thinking about the tears of, of suffering people. And it breaks my heart to think about it. As a matter of fact, I think about all the trouble. I think and you hear people say this, the, uh, the kind of shape our society's in today. And, and I try not to be a Debbie Downer because I'm very optimistic because I have hope in the Lord Jesus. But you hear folks, we talk often about all oh, the situation that we find ourselves in in society today. And sure, certainly there's oppression. And here's what Solomon concludes. He says, man, it's so rough out there and so difficult out there and so oppressive. He says in verse 2, wherefore I praise the dead. He said, I'll tell you one thing, it's a lot better to be dead now than it is alive. You're better off dead. Let me tell you something. That is not a philosophy that should come from the heart of saved people. You're not better off dead. We've got to come to the grips with the fact that God has given us life and opportunity. And living is good. And the opportunity to serve God is good. You're not better off dead. Now you remember something. Solomon's not talking out of somebody that's looking at life with an eternal perspective. Solomon's looking and he's speaking in a perspective that is skewed and without God at this moment. He says, I praise the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. He says, oh, it better be dead than it is alive. Oh, no, that's not the case. I read this and I thought it was really good. Someone said it like this and re- response to the, the sentiment that says, oh, we'd be better off dead than alive. The preacher said, people who say that are like fish in a pond when their beloved buddy fish are pulled out of the pond. They say, oh, wow, he's gone to a better place with no regards of the fire and the pan that's soon to come. And all sincerity... It's a whole lot better to be alive with an opportunity and a chance to come to faith in Christ than it is to die and go to a Christless hell. Don't forget it. And if real people are going to a real hell, then saved people ought to be determined with the lives that they have and the opportunities they have to be telling others about Christ who can save them from the condemnation of their own sin. It's not better to... Die and be dead than to be alive. If God has given you breath in your lungs, he's given you another opportunity to serve him. The oppressed, he says, better to be dead than alive. He says, there's actually something better than being dead. He says in verse 4, Yea, better is he than both they which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. He says, it's better that they weren't born. You know, Jesus said that about one person. Remember who it was? Judas Iscariot. He said it had been better they weren't born. And it is true. If a man rejects the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it would be better they were not born. But I'll just tell you, 
If you think about Christian families having children and you have this evil, rotten sentiment that how foolish is it to bring children into the world as quick as it is, you're dead wrong. Lo, children are the heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward, period. We should rejoice the birth of children, the lives of children. We should rejoice and invest in children. We should be going to extreme measures to point children to Christ and the Word of God and to encourage and strengthen families in the home. It's of utmost importance. And Solomon, he's not looking at eternity. He's not looking at God. He's not looking at lives that need to be influenced. He's selfishly looking at a godless world. But it's not a godless world. We have a Savior. We have a God. We have a Creator. And look, it's true there are oppressed all around. It's also true that for all the oppressed, every person that knows Jesus by faith as their Savior, that's a person that has the opportunity. And it is better to be alive than dead. And it's better to be born than not to be born. Oh, it's a sweet thing. Personality number one, the oppressed. Number two. Number two. Here's what he's talking about. The second person is the honest Hard worker. I don't know about you, but there is a very warm, special place in my heart for an honest, hard worker. Isn't that a sweet thing to meet an honest, hard worker? I love an honest, hard I want to be. And I strive to be an honest, hard worker. It's good. And Solomon, he likes honest, hard workers. But look what he says in verse number 4. In verse 4, he says, again, I considered all travail. And that word travail is hard labor, hard work. How many of you have uh, ever said to somebody, a good hard day's work, it won't kill you? Uh, how many of you ever had a good hard day's work and you felt pretty good about it at the end of the day? Hallelujah. God made you that way. Solomon, he says, I considered all travail and every right work that for this a man... And I should say, I'm going to say it in this way. I considered all travail and every right work. Now he says, look at this man. I want you to see this man. He works hard and he does good things and he's honest and he's upright. An honest, hard, you know what happens to an honest, hard working man? He has something to show for it. I have this conversation often with people. It's one of the things I like to talk about. I talk if folks say they can't find work. <laughs> liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I just can't find a job. And it reminds me of a line from a movie. And you can't find a job. No, no, I can't find a job. You can't find a job? He said, well, yeah, if you want to work 40 hours a week. <laughs> Uh, honest hard work and he says he says I'm considering the honest hard worker he says you know what happens to the honest hard worker who provides and has a little something to show for it here's what he says he says I consider all travail and every right work that for this a man is envied of his neighbor he says a guy that does things right his neighbor envies him I'll tell you one thing, I wish I could be as lucky as him. Yeah. We know, if you have got any sense, 
It's the byproduct of honest hard work. And Solomon says, you know what? I know people that have done things right. And his neighbor's jealous. He says, as far as I'm concerned, this is also vanity and vexation of spirit. He says, the oppressed, personality one, personality two, the honest hard worker, you just can't win for losing. Number three, the fool. Look at the Bible says, verse five. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Now, I don't think it literally means he's taking bites out of his arm. But it gives this idea of, of what a foolish person. He says, he says, hard workers are envied. Then a fool messes and ruins his life. A, uh, a fool foldeth his hands together. I ain't doing it. And eateth his own flesh. And basically what that means is he consumes his own livelihood and devastates himself. He just can't, his opportunity is squandered away. He says, if you work hard, like an honest hard worker, you get envied. If you're a lazy fool, you waste your opportunity. Solomon, he's such an encourager. I'm a loser either way, if I go or if I stay. He's, he's so encouraging. Personality one, the oppressed. Personality two, the honest hard worker. Personality three, the fool. Personality five, he says, how about the, the minimalist? The Bible says in verse six, better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. He says, well, maybe it's better if somebody has just a little bit, a handful with quietness, then both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. But he knows as he says this, that's not an answer either. The minimalist. The minimalist has got it made. Surely the minimalist has got it made. He's just got a little bit. And he's having what he's got. And he's not getting envied. He's not wasting his substance. And, and I'll just tell you, there is some truth to being reasonable, moderate, conservative, balanced, whatever. But let me tell you something. If you just try to live life with a little bit in your hand and with quietness, and you leave God out, you're going to find out that your little bit with quietness is vanity and vexation of spirit too. Because life without Christ leaves you empty. The minimalist. The fifth of five personalities we find in verse number seven. He says, then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. He keeps seeing this vanity under the sun. It's all vanity. Verse eight, he says, there is one alone and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. The last person is the loner, number five, the loner-driven entrepreneurial I've written it down as the driven. He's the driven person. This driven person, he says, I'm not going to have a family. I'm not going to have anybody else. I'm going I'm to do my thing. I'm going to be for me. I'm going to live for me, for me, for me. And I'll just tell you, this is the philosophy that the world teaches in a big way. Live for you, live for you, live for you, live for you. 
The Bible says, and Solomon says, look, the man that lives for himself, there is one alone, there's, verse 8, there's not a second, there's nobody else, it's just him. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor, neither is his eye satisfied. What he's driven after never brings him complete satisfaction. He's never satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and breathe my soul of good. He's, he said, it's just not, it's not for any good, long-term, reasonable purpose. Solomon just says, I, this is also vanity. These personalities, he says, he says you know, the, the oppressors where this is a terrible place to live. The honest hard worker is envied. The fool wastes his life. The minimalist, it really doesn't produce ultimate contentment. The driven entrepreneur, he doesn't have peace either. Ah! Now, why does God give us this in his word? I'll tell you, because it's easy to fall into these categories. You can spend your life thinking, I am so oppressed. Eeyore philosophy, nobody loves me, everybody hates me. Or you can become the person that has the bleeding heart for the oppressed. And I'll just tell you, you're going to be disappointed. How many of you ever helped somebody that didn't want to help themselves? It's tough, isn't it? That doesn't mean we stop helping people, but I'm just telling you, every earthly pursuit without God in consideration ends in emptiness. The oppressed, the honest, hard worker, the fool, I'm not doing none of this. The minimalist, I'm just going to do what's selfish driven. Look, all of those things end in emptiness. If you don't make Jesus the center of your life. And Solomon is telling us all about these different personalities. And he's telling us and reminding us, hey, look. And God's sending the message. It's all about God. It's all about eternity. Live your life with eternity's values in view. That's five personalities. And now let's look at two Proverbs. Two Proverbs. In verses 16, I'm sorry, verses, uh, verses number 9 through 12. Verse number 9 through 12, uh, we have a, a proverb, and it's very helpful. Uh, it's very helpful. So the Bible says in verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Now, he's, to, he's going to talk about something that's good. Now, a group of two is not to set, doesn't settle everything, but he, here, here's he's rambling. You, you can just imagine this. This is spirit-filled rambling. He's like, this is the oppressor of a problem. And he's going through all these things. He said, let me tell you something good. Here's, here's something good. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. You know, it's a lot of fun to be able to share with other people. I remember a story about a preacher on Sunday morning. He woke up on Sunday morning. He had a terrible hankering to go play golf. He thought to himself, he said, you know, lots of people call out of work sick and they do whatever they want to. He says, hey, you know what? What I'm going to do today is I'm going to call in sick. I know it's Sunday morning. I'm going to call in sick and I'm going to go play golf. He calls and gets somebody to cover for him and gets his golfing clothes on and Slips out of the house and goes to a golf course where he thinks there's nobody that'll know him. And all the while, God and one of his angels is watching what's going on. 
I told you this is a joke. It's not theologically sound. God and one of his angels is watching what's going on. And preacher gets to tee box number one. Hits the longest drive he's ever hit in his life. Birdie's number one. He goes to number two. It's a par three. Hole in one. He goes to number three. And on number three, he drives the green on a par four and puts it in for eagle. The whole while, God and the angel of the Lord's watching this. And the angel of the Lord's getting fidgety and mad. Finally, he works up enough nerve to say something to the Lord. He says, are you going to let this happen? And God chuckles and says, yep. Who's he going to tell? <laughs> and it's just an illustration that that kind of stuff's more fun if you have somebody to share it with. Who's he going to tell? And so he says, two's better than one. And it's true. Two's better than one. Verse number 10 for if they fall, if one of two fall, if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, verse from 11. If two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken and so the lord just uh, the lord prompts solomon this time he says these poor people have had enough of your doom and gloom tell them something good and he tells us something it's good two together and then this last phrase verse for 12 a threefold cord is not quickly broken and it's a sweet thing often people use a, a threefold cord in a wedding ceremony there's all kinds of these different ceremonies i get the privilege of being part of them i'm thankful for that but you'll have the uh, if you've seen the unity candle and uh the unity candle, they all become one. And then you've got the, the sand. You, they mix the two colors of sand. They pour them in at the same time. And they pray that they can't, they don't spill it. While and one of the things that folks like to do is they like to take a three-fold cord. And you've got a, a bride and a groom. And they braid this cord together. It's easier for the bride normally than it is for the groom to do this braiding thing. And so they, they braid the cord together. And they go from this passage of Scripture, this verse. And it's a little bit out of context, but it's so true. And what a beautiful picture that we have here. That a three-fold cord is not easily broken. Uh, a three-fold cord is not easily broken. And you have in this text, it's always two people, two people, two people, two people. But two people and God, a three-fold cord is not easily broken. It's a sweet thing. It's a sweet thing. Some people want to take and believe that this verse, and it's fine that you can't, you can't prove it one way or the other as far as I can tell. But some folks want to take this as, as this is thinking about a husband and a wife and children and a threefold cord is easily broken. But there's no doubt that God must have a very important part in the hearts and lives of people. And when two people are both following the Lord and they're yoked together in the Lord, husband and wife or even friends, when God and righteousness in the center of that friendship and that relationship, hallelujah, it produces something that's very, very strong. It's sweet. Proverb 1, 2 are better than 1. Proverb 2. Look what the Bible says in verse 13. Better is a poor and a wise child. Now you imagine this for just a minute, the, the poor and the wise child. Have you ever met a poor and wise child? You know, there's something about a poor and a wise child 
That is really, really great. It's really great. Have you met families of children? Uh, children I, I want to say it like this. Children of families that, that grow up, children who grow up in families that have lots of children. How many of you all had brothers and sisters? Did you raise your hand? How many of you had four or more brothers and sisters? How many of you had five or more brothers and sisters? Six, seven, eight, nine. How many did you have? Nine, nine total. And uh, so I'm going to give you a compliment. What, I see another hand. Where was that other hand? Eight of them, Ellis's crew. Have you ever noticed? And how many did you have, Alta? Ten, ten children, Alta's. Well, you're the exception of the rule. Most of the time they turn out okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you very much. Uh, you meet uh, children that were raised in a big family. If you, they're not spoiled. You meet a wise child out of a big family. Most of the time they're not spoiled. Most of the time they've learned how to take care of themselves and do things on there. And so when I see this, I see this child, a poor and a wise child. And the Bible says it's better to be a poor and a wise child. You watch a poor, wise child, and they'll make something out of their lives because they don't expect everything to be handed to them, and they'll make something out of their lives. So the Bible says better is a poor and a wise child than who? Than an old and foolish king. We spend the rest of this chapter talking about the old and foolish king in comparison to the poor and wise child. The old and foolish king, the Bible says, who will no more be admonished. The old and foolish king, he, was, he won't be taught anymore. He becomes demented. Now, I'll just tell you something. It's possible to become a leader in our society and become demented because you won't be taught anymore. Everything that you've needed, everything you needed is handed to you and you develop your own perspective and you forget that there's a real world outside of your little tiny bubble and world. We watch this happen. It happens to pastors sometimes. And I'm hoping that the Lord will protect me from that kind of foolishness. The old and wise, the, the old and foolish king, he, he will no more be admonished. By the way, if you've come to a place where you won't let somebody teach you something, you're in bad shape. You're in bad shape. You may be just an old and foolish king and better as a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. Verse 14. For out of prison he cometh to reign. So, so here's what, here's fascinating. Here's a king that as far as we can tell has all of his, uh, all the freedom in the world and power to whatever he wants to, but he's a prisoner to his own unwillingness to learn and grow and adapt. For out of a prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. That guy right there, not only does he harm himself, but he harms all the people he leads. As opposed to the poor and wise child, he'll do something that makes a difference. He'll do something that, that helps other people. Verse 15, he says, I considered all the living which walk under the sun with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. He's still thinking about the, the old and Foolish king, he says, he says, even the guy that comes after him, the second child that shall stand up in his stead, even the person that comes after him is going to find himself in deep trouble. He says, there's no end of all the people. He's got a great group of people. There's a great group of people that are under his care as a foolish king and the predecessor to a foolish king. Even all they that have been before them, they also that come after. He's got all these people before and after 
He says, they also that come after shall not rejoice in him. He says, if he falls in the footsteps of the old foolish king, not only does the old foolish king have a bitter end to where he is right now, but his predecessor, if he acts the same way the old foolish king did, nobody before, during, and after will have anything to do with him. They'll all, uh, they won't rejoice in him. He says, they just won't worry. He says, surely this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Bottom line, Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king. I like that spirit of the poor and wise child. He's going to dig in and do and learn, serve that old foolish king. Ornery, stuck in his ways, unteachable. He hurts himself. He hurts the people around him. He hurts the people ahead of him. May the Lord help us not to be like that. Isn't that an interesting sermon? It's an interesting chapter. Five personalities, two proverbs. What do we learn? There's lots to learn, but more than anything, we learn that we have a Savior. There's reason to live. There's reason to hope. And our stability is not in a place of prestige like a king Our stability is not in a lifestyle, a wealth, or a personality. Our hope is not in the way we do things. Our hope is in God. Even for people who have close friends, a threefold cord is not easily broken. What's What's the key to being strong? God. We need the Lord. Guess what? We have the Lord. May we live for God, live for eternity. May we keep our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, maybe learn a thing or two from God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word. Amen. Let's pray.